everybody, and welcome back to another live movie musical commentary with Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. I am your regular co-host, Mackenzie, and today we are doing something a bit different. Usually when we do these live movie musicals, we are doing it where we are covering a show we've already covered on the podcast, whether that's Little Shop, to West Side, to Cats, and this time... We are going about it a different way. We are actually doing a show that has not yet become a stage show, but was a huge movie musical smash hit. And that is, of course, The Greatest Showman starring Hugh Jackman as P.T. Barnum. And this was a show that kind of was like Titanic, where it came out. It didn't make a killing at the box office, but it just kept hanging on and was consistently in the top 10 week after week after week until it made this exorbitant amount of money. It became this big cultural hit. And we'll get it more into the film and some of its problematic elements, you know, and other topics that kind of sprang up from this piece. But this was a really a passion project for Mr. Hugh Jackman. This was something that he championed for almost 10 years before it got made. And this was kind of his dream movie musical to do so this was something that he did and started and kind of shepherded all the way through the pre-show stuff with the executives like there's a very famous video of him coming out of Lily's skin cancer surgery where he had like 80 stitches in his nose and they said you can't sing because you'll blow all your stitches out and sure enough he did it Lily got to the end it was like there during the that executive promotion day and he sang the whole show and blew out a majority of those stitches in his nose, but he sold the show. And that was something he did. And we sh- I-, I gotta say that this was not something that was going to be potentially on my radar, but my wonderful co-host tonight, Mr. Jamie Knox, who is joining us here. He is a friend of mine all the way from my days of Stratford Shakespeare School. Our cup of hemlock fans probably would have seen him on our stage play episode, all about the tragedy of Macbeth, but he suggested this because he reached out saying, Have you like what are your thoughts on this? I said, Well, I got thoughts. It's a very interesting film. And so then it was, okay, like, why don't we talk about it on the podcast? You know? And so I sure enough, this is what we're doing. So Jamie, why don't you give us the rundown? Give us a bit of an intro on who are you and how did you come to this film? Hey everybody. Yeah, I'm Jamie. I'm a writer director and yep, I'm currently got a feature film that's just finishing up and going to be released in 2023. Got to do a little plug for that. Yeah. So I'm really excited to be on here. I like Mackenzie said, I've known him since our days at Stratford camp way back mm-hmm. in the day, which was mm-hmm. awesome. Great great times. And yeah, we kept in touch over the years uh, with Mackenzie doing his thing and me doing my thing. Mm-hmm. It's funny, I had taken a break from the movie musicals for a while, and my f- now fiance back Woo. in the day was my girlfriend. She had suggested, Oh, we got to watch this movie. I love this movie. It's so good. And I'm like, oh, Okay, like it looks a little corny, <laughs> but I'll check it out. And yeah, I really, 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 really enjoyed it. And I think the more I really liked it when I first watched it, and I would say mm-hmm. the more I watch it, which sometimes I'm forced to watch it sometimes. <laughs> so sometimes but the more i do watch it the more i end up liking it and appreciating it more and more each time so i'm really excited to be talking about it and i think it's a very underrated and well done film yeah there are for sure some problems and 
issues that a lot of people can bring up about it, but we shall discuss those issues. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and honestly, for me, I went and saw this in theaters when it came out. This was one of those things I saw the trailer for. I went, okay. I'd seen La La Land, uh, which also, which is also the sit, which was, which features the same songwriter that, uh, for this one, which is Benjamin Pesk and Justin Paul, who also wrote Dear Van Hansen, as well, it should be noted. This is one of their projects. So I was like, okay, it's seen La La Land. It wasn't my favorite movie of that year. I was very happy that Moonlight won over La La Land. I thought La La Land was a bit overrated, to be honest. So I was like, okay, let's see what this other project of theirs is. Because it's got the same type of musical sound. So I was like, okay, let's, I'm game, let's play. Let's see what this is. And sure, if I came out of it going, okay, that was solid. That was a solid movie musical. We'll get into the historical inaccuracies later and about if whether or not that is something we should be condoning in a in a, in movie musicals, you know, yeah, uh, or just in film in general. Like how like where is the line of like where do we draw the line with historical inaccuracy storytelling when you're portraying For real sure. people in their histories? So we'll get into that as the film progresses because there's definitely a particular turning points where I'm like, ooh, okay, bit too much dramatic license here, clearly made for the film, but you know. So either way, so. Yeah, so I came out of it watching it, and then I think I watched it one more time when it came out on digital, because, mm-hmm. I mean, I had the album, the music is something that really stuck with me. Like, yeah, like the song cute. Never Enough, when we get to that song, that's my favorite song of the mm-hmm. whole piece, and we'll get into the whole concept of dubbing and the ethics behind that and how we should work with that, because I do, I'm not, I'm never opposed to dubbing. I think it's because it just comes down to giving people the right credit for what they do. And well, yeah, because told me about that i had no idea that it was yeah she was dubbed yep she was dubbed rebecca ferguson was dubbed and we'll get into that because the actress who dubbed her just came out as a contestant on britain's got talent and sang this song and her claim to fame was she said yeah i was the dubbed voice of this person and majority of the audience were like what god no and it's like rebecca ferguson told everybody when she did this that like Mm -hmm. this like she did not sing this piece and yet yeah. nobody kind of gave the actress the credit for the vocal yeah. work. So we'll get into that scene when we get there. But yeah, so, so I came out of this, watched it on digital, listened to the album a lot. And there's quite a few good songs, there's quite a few good earworms that I find I like this album more than I like La La Land's music. That's yeah, I, sure. I would agree with that. I would say that I think the music is better. Mm-hmm. And I want to warn everyone in advance, I am watching this next to my fiance. Ooh. If you hear someone crying in the background, because she <laughs> very emotional watching this movie so if you hear crying it's okay okay. hey emotions are good good. don't worry we Um, love a good emotional response to a film that means this film has done its job yeah and i think that's why it's so special for us too with Mm -hmm. this film because uh, you know seeing her have that strong emotional response Mm -hmm. to it and then you know realizing how great the film really is Mm -hmm. over the few times i watched it and i mean to the point we've even like when we got our new TV and our 4K player, like Grey Showman yeah. was one of those I picked up and it looks fantastic in 4K. Yes. It's it, like, it's, anyways, we'll get into details yeah. later. But we will get into all those details. Yeah. But I would say let's start. I am watching it on Disney Plus where yeah. you can stream it and you are watching on your 4K. Got the uh, 4K copy. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we're going to hit play. We're starting okay. from the very beginning with the opening credits. And of course, yeah, I, we have. Yeah. The, the late, great, 
Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. I was just going to add some pre-FBI titles before. Do you want me to skip oh. over those? Yeah, sure. Okay, hold on. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. Okay, I'm just going to click play. Yeah, we're yeah. whenever you're ready. Perfect. I'm hitting play. Okay. And of course, we have the great old 20th Century Fox logo. Yes. And it looks and like really vintage, too. It's cool. It's very vintage. And of course, we all know now... It is no longer 20th Century Fox. It is now just 20th Century Studios because Disney bought 20th Century Fox. What didn't Disney buy? Disney bought everything. Disney is currently playing the buying game and it's continuing. Yeah. I mean, that is the, that'll be the long-lasting legacy of Bob Iger. It's Bob Iger. Yeah, for good and bad. Yes, yes. Because, yes, I mean, there's a lot of good he did. But also, I'm never a fan of when one studio or one company buys up its competition to the point where there is no longer any competition. Yes. Yes. And I think things need to feel individual. Like Star Wars is never going to feel like it was with Lucas. It's just not. Exactly. Exactly. I I love this opening. Right? It's so cool, right? Like, immediately you're drawn into this piece. The silhouette, the way they introduced him. Great opening shot. Because, I mean, if you're going into this movie, you already know that Hugh Jackman's playing P.T. Barnum. So, the fact that you're then hiding his appearance, you're building it up, right? It's one of those great things where circuses do nothing for people anymore. Like, circuses have gone the way, sadly. Unless you're Cirque du Soleil. But, like, some of the spectacle that's shown in this is not going to draw the eye. But the fact that it's we're going to hide Hugh Jackman to the point where until we're going to show him and you're like, ah, oh, there's Wolverine and he's singing. Yeah. 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 Right. It's one of those great kind of build the anticipation up. It, and then of course you so, have the audience reacting to it too. Yeah. The cinematography is gorgeous. I also mm-hmm. looked into the director. He was a, a music video director before this. And yes. You can just tell, like, he's just such a good visual storyteller. It's, yeah, it's beautiful. I love the costumes in this. They're yeah. so rich. Like, once again, this is, like, this is and not going to be historically accurate. So they're definitely going to play into the more colorful showmanship of it, where in reality, yeah. this wouldn't have been probably what Bulls wore. Like, it would have been a much more rundown, not as flashy outfit, but... Sure. Yeah. This is the joy of of doing it this way is you can play with that and really hype it up. And the fact that we're now seeing that that this is a dream, that this isn't reality for him yet. Yes, exactly. And that silhouette with that silhouette is beautiful. Yes. And of course, we have a lot of great Broadway actors in this. We have Will Swenson, who's playing P.T. Barnum's dad, who actually was in Les Mis on Broadway, playing Javert. Javert, I knew it. And yeah, he, you know, he looks like a Javert. He definitely is a Javert. And he's married to six-time Tony winner Audra McDonald. So, and he did hair. He's done a whole bunch of Broadway stuff. So we'll see a lot of Broadway actors who show up in this. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got like, he just looks like Javert. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> More than Russell Crowe. <laughs> yeah. He probably sounds better, too. Ooh, yeah, sorry, oh, so much better. Dick, so but... much better. This, so much I love better. this. I love their whole i know it's a bit cliched but i love their backstory and how they met it's so sweet I mean, it, it's sweet it is a bit of the whole like class divide and 
very cliche. Like we've yeah. seen this story a million times, but mm-hmm. it's cute. It's well done. Yeah. Like it's a great meat cute. Yeah. And this is a brutal moment when I, well, it's coming up, but he smacks the kid. And it's just, yes. Oh, but once again, it's not historically inaccurate. Like back then, corporal punishment was the norm, right? Like he's going to hit yep. him. And it's like, yeah, that's what, yep. There it is right there. Yeah. There's the slap. You know, it's like kids back then were really abused and mistreated. Like this is before child labor laws. Like this is at the time when you would send kids down into coal mines and they would tie them to the doors of the coal mines so they could open and close the doors in the dark. I was going to say like, it's Oliver, it's Dickens times, right? This is Dickensian. Yeah. Like 1800s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely does give a very great expectations kind of vibe. Yes. Oh, great. Yes. I love great expectations. Great Dickens book. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say like these two kids have great chemistry with each other. They do. And they're, great on screen and they're amazing singers yes i don't know if the kid's a broadway actor i assume he's probably got some broadway or because he's a great singer like yeah this, i'm surprised he's done more maybe he has and i just haven't yeah. seen this stuff love i mean shots with kids this young is they grow up so fast yeah that he may appear two years later in another movie but it's like he looks completely like different that. yeah yeah I love this, that when they're walking through the forest and the mm-hmm. fog and the trees. Yeah. And this is why I think this is such an underrated movie, because it's mm-hmm. such a great example of visual storytelling. And yes. the sets and the way the sets and the locations look. Mm-hmm. Like, that shot of the door with the leaves coming through. That yeah. beautiful shots, which is yes. why I think more people need to watch this movie. Yeah. Agreed. And I mean, once again, like, you're, you're right. Like, this is something that oftentimes gets missed in when it doing film, when doing a film or even a musical on film is, and we talked about this in Gaslight, which is, where we, which we did for Cup of Hemlock, which is you got to know how to do show, not tell. Yes. Like, like and this like, whole thing is show, not tell. He is singing yeah. and we're hearing what he's saying, but he's not singing. Yes. Here is my object. I'm spinning it yeah. around the room. They're talking about yeah. something else, you know? So yes, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it, you know what it's doing too, which I really like. It's not trying to be smart. Oh, I like, love that with the rolling fabric rolling down the yeah. stairs. It looks like the circus tent cover. Yeah, it's, oh, good analogy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, once again, great montage, right? Yes. Like this is really good use of montage, where you're gonna see these actors grow up to become the Hugh Jackman and Michelle Williams, and you're gonna see the tr- passing of his dad, like. This is a lot of plot we're moving through, but the song does such a good job of you feel the pain of this character who is yeah, who is basically star a starving child in the streets. And he's going to get thrown down and beat up and like left like a left for dead in the gutter. And you know what? You could tell this is where the, I think the mm-hmm. music video directing comes in because this yeah. montage it just it's not music video like but he knows how to tell a story in yes beat and just give us enough information like that mm-hmm. shot with the hat on the grave mm-hmm. just enough we know what happened we don't need any other explanation yeah exactly yeah you're right like, like this this is how good like music video editing is done yeah because when you look at suicide squad the first one the david air one that was horribly re-edited by a music video editor 
it didn't work. Yeah. Because they didn't know the story. But because yeah. the director is in the editing room with the editor, and I don't know who the editor is, I'll look it up. But it's one of those things of, because he's directed and knows the story and knows the piece, he knows how to make this piece work for the music video style of montage editing that's being done. And look, what a great bit of editing where it's like the kids walking yeah. up to the house and now the top and hat comes him. down and it's Hugh Jackman. And it's a yeah. very young looking Hugh Jackman too. Like they made Hugh Jackman look young. Like he looks yeah, kind of like Curly from Oklahoma, yeah. like that early 2000s Hugh Jackman. Yeah. And I love how like beaming and happy he is. And it's like, oh, buddy, <laughs> dad's going to say no. <laughs> well, and this is again where we get into the whole like <laughs> accuracy of the times. Like yeah. if it was a realistic story. I don't know. I don't believe that she's running off with him personally, but no. You know, and I mean, historically, his wife, like this is his first wife. He had two wives. So okay. after she dies in real life, he then remarried and stayed with this other woman until they die. But his wife, I don't believe she was, if I remember my history book correctly, that like that basically it's all about like she was more of his class. There wasn't this big class divide. But once uh, again, this is like Titanic, right? I mean. Historically yeah. speaking, Jack and Rose would have never ended up together. Those gates were designed exactly. for a reason. Not just yeah. to be a metaphor, but like there were health reasons like that of why you'd have that. Yeah. And even Michelle Williams can sing. Like, I think Michelle Williams is one of the best actresses of her generation. Yes. She's so underrated. And her Marilyn portrayal in My Weekend with Marilyn is so good. Yeah. And Blue Valentine. Yeah. I think she's really underrated. And also, mm-hmm. the dance scene here is beautiful with the moon behind them. Oh, and the... I love that. Yeah. And I love the skirt. Like, this is like West Side Story, Anita. Yes. With the skirt, right? Like, this was Jerome. That's like Jerome Robbins' choreography, where it's like, they're going to play with the skirt. And the skirt kind of looks a bit like a circus tent. Like, they're going to yes. keep coming back to this look. That's so, and again, you pointed mm-hmm. out a fact I never noticed with the this mm-hmm. all the circus references before this. It's, yes. Yeah. I and, mean, and this is so good. This choreography. It's so good. It works. Like, well directed. Yeah, it does mm-hmm. have a lot of cuts and stuff. And I know it's, yeah. you know, it's cutting around quite a lot, which, but you know, it's yeah. a musical. Mm-hmm. One thing I really like is that they're not trying to be too intellectual. They're just giving yeah. us a simple story. Mm-hmm. Works. Yes. And then now she's pregnant and it cuts down to her pregnant. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Again, quick information and then it mm-hmm. moves on. Yeah. And then I love how we cut to like Hugh Jackman being like Bob Parr in The Incredibles working yeah. in the finance office or like Leo Bloom, you know, and yeah. the producers working with all the accountants. Like, it's that's me very... selling insurance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just a lot of cubicle work that's going to restrict the artistic energy of this character maybe edit out that tv insurance part but yeah <laughs> <laughs> when we get to the audio only version i will edit it out amazing thanks don't want to get fired And this is true. Like, like P.T. Barnum did, unfortunately, loses, like, like did kind of have this type of job and he did lose it. So there is some historical accuracy. And he did, and he did try running a lottery, like, like, like lottery as well. Like, he, like, 
P.T. Barnum, for all the very bad historical things he did, I will give him credit. He was a person who never stopped chasing that entrepreneurial energy that he had. Like, that was... Like, like that is something that, that he's a true kind of classic American story, right? Like, continually yeah. beat down, but then kept coming back up with different plans. Yeah, you gotta respect that drive, yeah. you know? Yes. I mean, a lot of us look at this and think about, like, you know... We, I mean, we've lost jobs and stuff, I'm sure, but just yes. big dif- big difference back then, you know, with what they had to yeah. go through how to get money and yeah. yeah especially when this was really back then like both parents usually did not work right like like michelle williams's character is a stay-at-home mom yeah katie oh. just made a point that it's the first time we see michelle williams not looking rich yes the film. like she's kind of yeah dirty hair and yeah dirt on her face mm-hmm Oh, the kid the kids are really good in this movie too. They're so cute. very good kid actors. Yeah, they're very cute. Yep. And then I love this. Like once again, this entrepreneurial inventor energy. Like he is, even though he's had a shit day and lost his job, he comes home and he's not gonna let that dis like despair, the uncertainty of the world affect his energy with his kids he's never going to let that show to his kids he's going to keep the dream going yeah and often talk to katie about it how okay mm-hmm. historical accuracy aside yeah i think his just his character in this movie mm-hmm. is a good example of what it means to be a man and what it yes. means to provide for your family and yes and when you slip up or when you lose mm-hmm. sight of what's important that you mm-hmm. you know you come back and you realize what's yeah. right anyways we'll get to that later but yeah. Yeah. I think he's but, a very well written character in this mm-hmm. movie. Yes. I mean, not a historically accurate character. I mean, I wasn't exactly. historically just accurate. Not have him be P.T. Barnum. Have him just be a regular yeah. Joe Smith circus inspired yes. by the life of P.T. Barnum. I much rather yeah. I think the film would have gotten much better response from critics and historians had they not labeled him as a P.T. Barnum. Instead of just said, he's yeah. just some random, like, this is just the classic American dream story with this guy who creates a circus. And, and because, I mean, we'll get into this more when we get into the circus and his relationship with these, I don't, I don't they're not disabled, but uh, people who are on the fringes of society, yes. who, who do not conform to the societal norms. Yeah. Right? Like, when you look at the historical thing of what happened with P.T. Barnum and his exploitative nature, of what he did there. It is not great. <laughs> so well, unfortunately, well, there's exactly. baggage with the real historical character. And we'll get into this yes. more, but like just this beginning part is so beautiful because it makes you immediately buy into this character in his dream and you're rooting for him to succeed. And that's yeah, what he was like just, so you got to get the audience like, to buy him fast. Yeah, you like him throughout the whole movie. Well said mm-hmm. about like, if he was called something else to be different, my theory is that they probably used it because they're like, oh, this is the guy who invented the circus. This is going to yeah. get people to come see it's yeah. an interest. And yeah, I agree with you completely. I'm not saying P.T. Barnum is a good person, but yeah. just Hugh Jackman's character, mm-hmm. you know, he's just, he goes on such an interesting journey. Yeah. You feel for him. Oh, yeah. And you only get. <laughs> oh. There we go. But like, 
the this is why you cast Hugh Jackman because he is even in the most horrible role he's done, which is Prisoners, where he's playing a very dark character who you should not be rooting for the things he does in that movie. But because he's Hugh Jackman, and there's a there is a charm in that man's eyes that just makes you buy into him when he's doing the most horrible things. Yeah. Yeah, he, he you just you can't help but like him. He is the Yeah. He's I don't know, an American treasure, right? He's like one of those He is a gen know what it is, he is a genuine person. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like when yeah. you talk to him in real life, the fact that him and his wife like the fact that he like his wife was I think she was his casting agent or his agent. But like yeah. a lot of people have criticized him because like they go like your wife, she's older than you, like she's not this like supermodel Megan Fox type that you would expect a man with who yeah. plays Wolverine to be with. But he's like, no, no, I love my partner. We have kids. We, I think they foster kids too. Like he's yeah. a very genuine, loving person. In every project he takes on, he brings a hundred and ten percent of himself to yeah. that role. Absolutely, and even yeah. I know we both have our yeah. issues with the Les Mes movie, but yeah. he. His performance, in my mm-hmm. opinion, should have won the Oscar that year. Like he yes, because he got beat by, I think it was uh, Lincoln. He got beat by Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, if they come out any other year than Daniel Day Lewis, I know, yeah, it would have won. Because I mean, I yeah, can't fault Daniel Day Lewis in that movie because I love Lincoln. That is such an underrated Spielberg. Film. Yeah, it's one I haven't watched in a while, which I want to go yeah. back to because I saw it when I was younger, and I don't yeah. think I appreciated it at the time, and I want to see yeah. watch it. Yeah. And then here we go. I mean, just Mr. Salesman here. He's got the yeah. money. He's making it. He's playing it out. Like he is trying his hardest. And he's even got the kids involved too. Yeah. Like, like he's trying. And of course, all the papers are like being thrown around. Is that Paul Gimignani playing the bearded guy? Sorry. Was that Paul Gimignani playing the bearded guy, the one that no, it I looked don't like think him? So. It did look like him, yeah. Or maybe it was Danny Burstein. I don't know, from Broadway. But I, the, I it lo- he looks like Paul Gimignani. I was yeah. like, did they Paul Gimignani do a cameo in this? Because he's yeah. great in whatever he does. He is. <laughs> I and it's very well written. I've written yeah. a lot of books on screenwriting and mm-hmm. just all the things he goes through. It's just, it's yeah. very well written. It's This is a tight script. Like, it is. Like this story, the way they tell it is so tight where yeah. the pace is good. The scene, every scene is, excuse me, driving forward. Like the overall story, it is doing its job and it repeatedly makes you root for him. Because it shows him yes. trying and failing and trying and failing. And he loses his way a bit when he gets some success. And then he ultimately is going to win the day. Like, it's one of those. And there's a reason why this film is spawning a sequel that they're working on now, apparently. Oh, yeah. I heard they're working on a sequel. Yeah. It's like, yeah. of course you want a sequel to this movie. It made a lot of money. It's a feel-good movie. Like, And yeah, it constantly flows. And then, of course, you get some right. symbolism here with the apple, too. Right? The fruit yeah. of knowledge. As he's looking at the information, it's like some subtle thinking there. 
Yeah, and it wasn't that Katie just said that's the apple that got given to him by the old woman. Like that yes. maybe a reference to that. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's so sad when the mom's like, I don't have a son. Yeah. Okay, here we go. So now we get into it. Yeah. Yeah, this is where it gets, this is where it gets gray, right? Like. It does get gray. It's a great way to describe it. Yeah, because Hugh Jackman. In his portrayal of P.T. Barnum, is portrayed as a very loving, supportive person. And yet, when we look at the real P.T. Barnum and what he did to these people, not the case. Like the fact that he had an elderly black woman who he proclaimed to be the oldest woman in the world. And then after she died, he sold money to her autopsy to prove that she was the oldest person. And then when they're like, oh, no, Shachi was like 80. It's like, oh, never mind. She's off living somewhere in a, in the countryside with money. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, like definitely not a good person in that sense. But in this movie, like this was really a piece about, you know, it's about. They really wanted it to be a piece about making the pe- the unseen people, the people who don't fit societal norms. Deserve their moment in the sun. And that's why you're going to have this great song later on of This Is Me, right? Like, that's that whole song, right? It's owning yourself and not letting society's norms beat you down, right? So, I mean, it's a great message. It's just a force. Yeah, exactly. They chose a character a to live. Message. Yeah. But the background of it, historically, is yeah. 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 Like, that's the issue is they chose someone who historically, like, here we go. So, we're going to meet Kayla Saddle, who is a great actress. She was Madame Tenardier on Broadway. I know she actually right before the oscars where she performed the song had a stroke like she is a phenomenal actress well i've seen the video of her and hugh jackman singing yeah that video at the producers yeah producers showing yeah where she said i didn't think i'd ever get cast in the movie because of my body type yeah it's like that's the tragedy is that this woman who is a phenomenal performer and singer on broadway wouldn't you know, probably get cast, but because Hugh Jackman's her champion, literally, and champion for her to play this part, got her the role. It's like one of those things of society still has not come as far as we'd like it to come. You know. Well, yeah, and, and that's the pro- That's the thing, right? Mm-hmm. You could look at this movie and go like, mm-hmm. oh, like the character, the movie's yeah. champion, yeah, championing people yeah. from all walks of life, yeah, and. But again, it's all it's that gray area because you think about the backstory, what the film is actually about. Yeah. It, you're right. I, a great way to say it is it's gray. Mm-hmm. It's a gray area. It's, it's so gray. Because, I mean, on one hand, you're like, great, he's giving these people a platform. But really what he's doing is he's selling their, I'm going to use the word exoticness. Yeah. He's quotation marks to, I mean, there's a reason why they called it a freak show back in the day was because these people were outside the norm and people love to come and see people who were different and got yeah. to point and laugh at them i mean there are many historical accounts of them being prodded with sticks and laughed at and things were thrown at them like this was one of these things where they were not like this was not a this was not a happy circus life you know like 
this was yeah, where everybody really else see- rejected them, so they all ended up on this on the circus circuit. Where and you never see them like like you see them a little bit living in the quarters and stuff like that, yeah. but we never really see their living conditions. They probably had terrible no. living conditions. Terrible, like, you know. Yeah, they weren't paid well either. Like no, no, and yeah, yeah and the film glosses over that, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to think about with the background of it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so musically, this is a really interesting film where you have a very modern sounding score yeah. with this kind of older environment. And the reason they yeah. did this was because they wanted it to show P.T. Barnum was ahead of his time. And okay, okay. Yeah. I like this works better than like Spring Awakening where it's all rock and roll music because yeah. it's, you know, like it's going to be edgy. Like it's going to break societal norms. It's like, no, no, no. Like the joy of like, like this works because it all fits together as it shows like people are like Hugh Jackman is above the or is ahead of everybody else. This isn't going to be a yes. Roger and Hammerstein score because of that. Yeah, I don't think I would have liked it if it didn't have modern music. I think the modern yeah. music worked for it. And of course, look, now they come out into the spotlight and everybody's shocked and scared. No, they're not. They're going to look at you like, like as much as as much as humanity is a beautiful thing, has many beautiful qualities. There is also a very large part of society that like loves to watch the failure, loves to watch the oddity of the world. Yeah, and, and point it and point at it and make it like you know. They're gonna make fun of these people and take yeah. out their insecurity on them. Like that's how it works. Yes. Right? Yes. I mean, there's a great well, line they don't by make fun of them in the movie, but they would yeah. in real life. <laughs> I mean, Howard Ashman wrote a beautiful lyric when he wrote "Beauty and the Beast," when it's the mob song and they're marching off to go kill the beast, and their line is, "We don't like what we don't understand. In fact, it scares us, and its monster is mysterious at least." Yeah. And that encapsulates humanity is if there's something we don't understand, we will destroy it versus trying to understand it. Exactly. And that's what exactly. fear is a yeah. driving factor always. Yeah. And I mean, also, this other, is a great number. Yeah. This is such a fun number, right? Like once again, as an audience member, you're immediately bought into them and you're rooting for these performers like Kiela Saddle's bearded woman, who doesn't have to get a name. First of all, she's always called the bearded woman. That's a yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Like she should have been at least given a name like Fiona. I don't know. Give her some name so she's not Fiona's just referred good. to her as bearded yeah. woman. Like you know. Um, but it's oh, one of these. The critic. Yeah, the critic. Which I really like this plot. I love the subplot of the critic. Yeah. I think it really it adds something to the film, which is yes. really nice. It gives him a challenger. It gives him yeah uh, a challenge. Yeah. Again, he's just like inside all of you acting like it's all gonna be yeah. fine. It's like, mm. and of course, once again, you have society outside the door, repeatedly like, you know, coming after him. Who is that bearded actor who's with you, Chapman? And look, he looks like Paul Giovanni. <laughs> I gotta look this up now. But once again, this Anderson, Eric Anderson, Eric Anderson. Okay. Oh, there's Zendaya. 
Yeah. And I mean, this is the whole other plot problem is you're going to get Hugh Jack or Zac Efron into this movie, right? And he's going to have this love story with arguably one of the most beautiful men in the world who is Zendaya, <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's like, it's the same problem with Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame where you have somebody like Quasimodo who is different in the world. And instead of having like Zac Efron fall in love with like the bearded lady, he's going to, of course, fall in love with the trapeze artist who, yes, she is facing racial discrimination, but it's like, on a scale of bearded woman to Zendaya, yeah, yeah, there is a very clear line here that they're still promoting that it's okay if you fall in love with somebody different, as long as they look like Zendaya and not like yeah, yeah. Kay Alisano. And it's like, there that's another problem with this movie that I've always had a problem with that plot line is, I love Zac Efron and Zendaya together, but it's... Yeah, I was going to say, I love their storyline. Yeah. I think it's great. <laughs> and he, yeah, he gets, he, he has conflict with his parents, but yeah. I don't, you know, they sell it well. I think they have great They do. They, oh, they sell it. Hey, Zac Efron and they have some of the best chemistry I've ever seen. I'm happy to have her and Tom Holland together. Like. Maybe the beard will let you in a love interest in the sequel. Ah, oh, there we go. That'd be nice. Yeah. Love the suits. Love the costumes. I would love a suit like like Peachy has. Unfortunately, being a short person, long coats do not work well. They make you look shorter, I've learned. Well, it's got a very, like, it's a bit more elegant, but it's got a Peaky yeah. Blinders kind of quality to it. Yes. I love, I love Peaky Blinders. Helen well, McCrory was, was so good on that show before she passed away. That death broke me. Mm-hmm. That was really unfortunate. Yeah. Yes. And I love the critics calling him out, where it's like, the critics were seen as the villain or the antagonist of P.T. Barnum, but really he's speaking some honest truths here. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's kind of like, oh, there's another really good musical I just was talking about a little while ago, where it's, oh, what is it? Oh, it's Music Man, speaking of okay. Jackman. But in Music Man, there is a character who's an anvil salesman, Charlie Sloan, the anvil salesman. And he is throughout the whole piece trying to get Harold Hill caught because every time Harold Hill goes to town and tricks the people into, you know, buying these band instruments, then he leaves town and leaves them all angry. The next salesman who comes in gets tarred and feathered and gets and goes right out of town on the rails. And he's repeatedly going, these people going, this guy is a huckster. He's taking your money and is going to run away. Like, this guy's not a good person. And yet, always when you see the show, Charlie is played as the villain of the piece, you know? And it's the same thing here, where this critic is perceived as, oh, you're destroying his dreams, you're being cruel. But, you know... Telling the truth. He's telling the truth. Like, this guy is a... Not to mean the P.T. Barnum here, but he's a fraud, he's a huckster, who's making money off the backs of these poor people who who have nowhere else to turn, so they turn to the show. Right. Fun fact, I played Harold Hill back in the day when I was Oh, younger. really? My first musicals, yeah. Good times, good times. Uh, he is a, Harold he is a, a really fascinating character. He's a good con man, for sure. He is a great con man. And I mean, not to go off on a tangent, but side tangent here, but I have a composer friend from LA and he's talked about the music when he goes, you know, if, you know, if Harold Hill wasn't so charismatic, People would see him for what he is, and it's kind of, and he goes, he's kind of like, you know, a certain former president. 
who is very good at the smoke and mirror saying what needs to be said to get the people rallied up for a cause, right? Well, I think it's the same that can be said for multiple politics, anyone in politics. Anybody in politics, yeah. Even actors who have sexually harassed people. Well, yep. you know, it's easy yep. to look past these things for society, apparently, yep. when they're all they're really good looking and pretty. Yep. Everyone looks the other way. It's mm-hmm. Harold Hill's a he's a comment. Yeah. But he's handsome and he's charming. Yes. So that's why people go for it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so we're getting a bit into like the higher high life kind of Yep, exactly. And these and once again, these girls want to join. But once again, we're gonna get into social class where they're not gonna be accepted because of their background, right? Yeah. And once again, it's that continual way the story sets it up where there is a success and then they get knocked back. And the audience is going to repeatedly fight for these pe- these characters, right? Well, yeah, exactly. Because when you see them wanting mm-hmm. something and they're going through ups and downs, that's when you care, right? And it's screenwriting mm-hmm. 101. And sure. the daughters pointed out a really good fact, which is because he's like, you're going to be the next prima ballerina. And she goes, no, that takes years of training. You can't fake it like your circus. Yeah. And that's the truth, right? Like that, And that's the same thing with Harold Hill in The Music Man, right? Like learning how to play the cornet and the trombone take years of training to do it well. Do it using the think method, you know, yeah. to play the minuet in G is not the real way the world works. And it's the same thing here with his, or his daughter pointed him out where it's like, you know, like, sorry, Dad, like, you can say whatever you want to me, but the truth is, if I'm actually going to do this, I'd actually have to work at it, not just play yeah. pretend. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Katie made a point out the uh, the tutus the girls mm-hmm. were wearing were historically accurate for the time, is that correct? The romantic era of ballet. The romantic Ooh. era of ballet. The yeah. skirts that were rather than tutus that stand up, they're skirts that are set higher on the waist and they flow down with crinoline. Almost like a circus tent. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, too. very true. This is a really this. cool number. This rhythmic. I mean, if you go watch the outtakes of these two doing it, it's really funny. Because oh, they watch. miss the glass or, you know, it's like all timed, right? Like, it's a really cool choreography here. It's all. It's a beautiful set too. I was just to go back, going back a bit. That scene with him and Michelle Williams. Yeah, I loved that wide shot in the yes. bedroom where you can see the distance between them growing. Yeah, which is really yeah. nice. Uh, great symbolism once again. A lot of people yeah. miss like General Ryan's is. It's all subconscious, but as a good film director and a good filmmaker, you have to be thinking about. I mean, you know, the shot tells the story, right? Like it's a choice of, like the fact that a lot of these shots here are shown. In twos, right? Because Hugh Jackman and Zac Efron are now working together, right? Like they are collaborating, yes. so they're going to be shown on the same in the same frame. So they're always going to be together. Absolutely, right? Like versus like always having a close up on Hugh Jackman and never showing Zac Efron. Like there's a reason why they're filming it this way. That's something like people audiences never actively think, nor should they be actively thinking about it. No, yeah, but, and I think that can ruin movies for you when you're like me where you overthink every little detail. <laughs> me them. too. My dad's like, Max, stop showing me all this. Like, just let me watch yeah, yeah. these. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know what's really interesting about this scene? Like, 
they're getting extremely wasted and yes. they can still sing perfectly and dance perfectly. <laughs> it's the magic Maybe they drank of... it up really quick. If the alcohol didn't hit yeah. them yet. Exactly. We're actually watching Zac Efron's reality show on Netflix right now. We're he has a reality show? Well, I want to call it a reality show. It's more of like a travel like docu-series. Docu I didn't know and this. And it's really good. It's cool. Like, he, you know what? He did say that he left Hollywood because he was too much for him. And yep. he kind of went to travel the world and stuff. And He's I, been living in Australia since Living in Australia since the pandemic. Didn't something happen with his jaw too recently where he came out and said, like, I might... A he shadow of my jaw yeah. almost died, and like that's why my face looked so different there for a while. Yeah, but I saw the show, and it looked a little different, but it didn't look mm. with what everyone's kind of saying, you know? Yeah. Some look. of the pictures are bad, but I think they're just bad pictures. Yeah, they could be bad pictures. Someone could have even edited them to make them yeah. look worse. But, you know, he, despite all the fame and stuff, mm -hmm. he seems like he's kind of got a down-to-earth vibe. He's very down-to-earth. Yeah, like, like when you, the show is down to earth, and the show's name is down to earth. Yeah. Yeah. See, it all fits. Yeah, exactly. It all fits. But he is someone yeah. who's fascinating when you look at his filmography because he's done High School Musical, he's done Hairspray, he's done this. And then he also did that Ted Bundy movie there a little yeah, while ago on Netflix, which he was really, really good, good in. in. Yeah, like he's and he's also done Baywatch. He did oh, what's that one with Seth Neighbors. Rogen where it's the Neighbors, Neighbors like. He's got a really cool filmography where he, he does a lot. He's never stuck to the pretty boy image, you know? Like, he's always yeah, trying to Yeah, obviously use his looks like, yeah. for the roles, but... Yeah, yeah. He, you know, that's one of his strengths. He's clearly a good-looking dude, but, like, yeah. he can act and he can sing and he can perform yes. and he seems like a genuinely good person. Yes. I mean, I don't know him. I thought yep. that's true. Apparently, Jeremy Jordan was supposed to be in this role instead of he was to Zach Efron. Yes. Can Katie's on? Is it okay if Katie chimes in? Of course. Okay. Of so course. Jeremy Jordan. I love Jeremy Jordan. From I love Jeremy Jordan. He was supposed too. to be Zach Efron, right? Apparently, he was supposed yeah. to be this role, but Jeremy Jordan also doesn't dance. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, Jeremy okay. Jordan doesn't dance well. He's always said, like, I'm a mover. Like, he did Newsies on Broadway. But every time there's a dance scene, he does a one-handed cartwheel and leaves. Yes. <laughs> he has oh, his one so trick. Funny. That's his that, that's his shtick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he's <laughs> yeah. known for. Well, I okay, mean, there's a, a lot of great actors example. who are great movers, but not dancers. And that's okay. Yeah. Like, like, like as long as the world's written that way, that's the most important thing. But yeah, Zac Efron was not the original singer for this. When they were doing all the out-of-town tryouts and sing throughs of this piece they had jeremy jordan doing mm. it and this is a really cool shot with zendaya oh, it's one of the best shots flying up movie. to camera oh i love it you feel the love at first sight though yes you imme ah, immediately you're bought into it yeah it's you're yeah it's not cheesy it's not corny it's just really well done yeah and just a bit before when they're walking around the coming into the tent and things this is where it gets a bit iffy, where I'm like, well, these two white dudes who have money are yeah. showing up in their kingdom with all the commoners, right? It just, there's yeah. something that doesn't feel right about it. Yes. And that's what we were talking about. They're yeah. exploiting people. Yeah. They really are. I mean, like, once again, and the fact that they're going to do this whole racial discrimination storyline with two of the most beautiful people that <laughs> you can yeah. find. And, yeah. I mean, not to mean to Zendaya here, but her brother in the show, or in this film, is darker than she is, right? So once again, yep. it's Zendaya's much more light-skinned, you know? Like, there's a lot of 
social political things, I think nowadays there would be a problem. I didn't clue in that it was her brother. I thought that was maybe a friend or someone who liked her. I've always understood it was her brother. See, I'm always learning new things every time I watch. (laughs) Yeah, the little girl with the beard on, kind of making fun of them. "Mm." Yeah. Right? Like, this is that thing of, I mean, another thing they leave out of this whole museum part of the story is he had animals there. So he actually had a tank with a whale in it. And there is, and it is true that the building did burn down and the whale boiled alive in the, in the in, during the fire. Jeez. So they leave that part of the story too, where it's like, yeah. um, not the best here, people. Free Willy. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I wonder what the sequel will be about. I'm wondering what they're going to do with that. Yeah, I mean... I can't see it being a continuing story. But where would you go? I mean, you can make it about Zac Efron, but... Yeah. His team is... Like, Hugh Jackman kind of exited the story, like, at the very end. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is true. They did go to Buckingham Palace. And P.T. Barnum did bring some of his performers, let's say, with him. Good word, good word. Yeah. But like, this was this did happen. I mean, not everybody came. I know for sure the little person came with him. Because they, right. like, they traveled together all the time. Like, that was his kind of go-to. So they had a person. bond. Yeah. I didn't realize it was Yes, Queen Victoria. I mean, who knows? Maybe when they do the prequel to The Crown that they're working on, maybe we'll get a flashback to when P.T. Barnum came Palace. Because they are setting up the prequel. I mean, have you watched the latest season of The Crown yet? I'm embarrassed to say I have not watched The Crown at all. (gasps) I'm shocked. I know. I've heard great things about it. It's just one of those shows I haven't got around to, unfortunately, but it's definitely definitely on my list. Yes, well, in this latest season, they do make flashback references to like King George V, World War One era of time. So, yeah. So, that, which is the time period they want to do? They want to do it right after the death of Queen Victoria, up to when Queen Elizabeth takes the throne. And mm. here we go. So, this is another historical moment here, which is this singer, this Jenny Lind. So, they definitely did this woman a disservice when in, in this movie. Because in reality, she was a very big charitable person. She had, I think she had schools or something, orphaned children. She was not an alto. She was a soprano. Like, she mm. was a very different person that this movie then, you know, kind of doctors to fit into the story. I never thought of her as a bad person in the movie, though, if that makes sense. She, no, 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 no. She's never a villain in this movie. That's for sure. Yeah. But she definitely just, is a foil to to yes. Michelle Williams's character. That's for sure. Absolutely. Obviously, mm-hmm. we're going to root for Michelle Williams's character yes. over her for sure. Yeah. I think Rebecca Ferguson is an incredible actress. I uh, love her. She's so good. Yeah. Like Lady Mission Jessica Impossible, Dune. everything, Dune, like just so good. Yeah. 
But yeah, this, this so so I mean yeah, so historical inaccuracy wise, like this is where I go. This is where I have a problem because I'm all for you know like if like this the same thing that's going on with the crown right now is we're talking about historical inaccuracy and I go well hold on there Peter Morgan when he writes this is consolidating historical moments into one thing because it makes better sense for the story and he's sure. taking conversations that happen between the queen and the prime minister that there are no records of because the audiences are private. So we don't know what they talk about in those meetings. So he can say whatever he wants to say. And that's sure. fine. But he's still going to say like, hey, Diana showed up in this black revenge dress for this party. She didn't show up in a pink dress. You know, like he still stays within the same thing with Braveheart. Braveheart takes a lot of historical inaccuracies. But yep. for the most part, they still stick to the overall historical elements. Like like the battle of, oh, what's the, well, what's the big one? It was on a bridge. Oh. I'm I know what you're talking about. I can't think of the Yes, anyway, so in the movie of Braveheart, yeah. that battle took place on a bridge. In the movie, it does not take place, but it takes place in an open field. There's another yeah. battle that takes place in real life that took place on an open field. But anyway, so the point right. being is, the outcome of the battle was the same. Braveheart, w- w- Wallace still won the day. The yeah. British lost. And the English <laughs> lost. Yeah. <laughs> right? So it's one of those things where... They still kept the major plot points the same. Wallace was still betrayed by the higher lords and was given over to the English who then gutted him, his entrails, and burned him and executed him. Like, he didn't yep. magically survive at the end. And that's where I'm like, okay, you're still hitting all the major plot points of the story. And for the most part, you know, you're adjusting things here and there. But Liberties taken. Yeah. You're taking some liberties, but you're still hitting the major plot points and are falsifying history, you know? And it's yep. like, here, you're now making things up that never happened. Like, there was never a, a love affair where his wife is going to leave him. There was never, like, she like she wasn't us, like, like, she was a soprano, not an alto. There were certain definitely historical things that they completely fabricate, and then people take that as historical fact, and then assume this about this woman who, for the most part, was not what she appears in this film, right? And because... For sure. There's not another biopic about this woman. There's a few books about her, but she's not like a major historical figure like Marilyn Monroe, where we have copious notes on her, right? There's very little written about her, or there's not enough There's not enough other alternative media showing her in a different light. So this may be the only time somebody ever sees her, this real-life woman on film. And now you're assuming right. she was this adulterous woman who... Did this and then it's like, nope, that's not accurate. Like, this is where I have problems with films, like historical films, where they just totally fabricate a major element of somebody's life and then people take it as fact. It's like, there is a very clear line between, you know, things things like that. So it's like, this is where I have issues. I agree. I I think. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. However, this plot line they wrote even though it might not be Ooh. accurate it is really good like it adds a lot of it's a great plot line but then i go did, why did it have to be jenny lynn just yeah. name her veronica lodge betty Be- betty buckley whoever name her somebody else yeah why did it have say to be like, pt right exactly it's one of those things of exactly. if you're gonna stray so far from the source why didn't have the name it's like at, at some point you just kind of gotta you know 
stray away and just say inspired by and not yeah. use the names of the people. You know, like just and I love this song. I mean I love when Zach Efron and Zendaya yeah. almost touch hands. Right? It's such an old Hollywood cliche, but it still well. works. Yeah, because it's also their story. It's not just yeah. about Hugh Jackman's. It's yeah. also reflecting what they're going through, which is beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Also, she she looks great in white. Oh, and of course, right and of course when she's singing about the hands never being enough. They're holding hands, right? Like yeah. this song is giving emulating. So much is going on here with yes. the plot, with yes. multiple characters within one song, and you're yeah. seeing different things going on, which yeah. again, I feel like not a lot of Hollywood films are smart enough to do stuff like mm-hmm. this. Like to me, that's Mm-hmm. I see that more in like something like Days of Heaven with Terrence Malick when all the yeah. information is going on for different characters versus something like this, which is, you know, an American film and they do it really, really well. Yeah. This director has seen some good cinema. That's all, all I would Very say good. that. So we should acknowledge that this is Lauren Alfred or Al- Alred. Alwitz? Who is performing this song, who is dubbing, who is dubbing Rebecca Ferguson here. And this was Rebecca Ferguson's choice to be dubbed. She said, I can't sing this like this artist is singing it. And if this woman's supposed to be one of the great singers of this period, I need to sound that way. And my vocals yeah. are not going to do that for you. So, that so the fact that she's saying this. Yeah, so the fact that they dubbed her is great. Because once again, I'd rather have someone like Rebecca Ferguson come out and say, I can't sing this the way it should be sounding. Yeah. So find somebody who is, and I will act it out. I mean, that's an old yep. Hollywood trick, right? I mean, Christopher Plummer does not sing in Sound of Music, right? Like that's yeah. not his. That's not him singing. There are lo- well, that's it's not like Lena and singing, in the rain. singing in the rain. Singing in the rain. Yeah, there's our um, Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady. Is that is that is Marnie Nixon who also dubbed Natalie Wood and Deborah Carr? Like, see, I didn't know all this stuff. See, yeah, this is, and again. I didn't even know Rebecca Ferguson was dubbed, so mm-hmm. and I, I should have, but yeah. they should have but done more press. But like that's the thing with dubbing is that, and this is where the issue came up is a lot of these artists who were dubbed never got the proper credit for the dubbing. Yeah. Like nobody knew Marty Nixon dubbed three different women of Hollywood: Natalie Wood, Audrey Hepburn, and Deborah Carr. They all just assumed it was those three actresses singing. It would, N- N- D- Marty Nixon wasn't until much later in life did she get the credit of, oh, you dubbed these three women and sang it yeah. perfectly. So that's the thing of, like, even if you look at Disney, right? Like, Leia Salonga dubs both Jasmine and Mulan, vocally speaking, for in those movies. But nobody knows yeah. that, right? Like, well, Katie actually told me that tonight when you mentioned <laughs> Leia. Mm-hmm. she was like oh she dubbed them I'm like what yeah yeah, yeah. she, she yeah. does the singing voices and disney does that did, did that a lot back in the day and that i mean once again dubbing is fine i'd actually prefer it come back because there are a number of performers pierce brosnan russell crowe who cannot sing well i mean yeah, or, <laughs> Les Mis, perfect example. Yeah, right and it's one of those things of if you're gonna if you want the big hollywood name great but it used to be in hollywood that you'd have to be someone like a julie andrews who can who could sing it well in order to warrant you being the vocalist featured in the yep. film. It's just 
I would much rather have that. It's just, once again, just then give the person their due. Like, if you're going to have, for example, you and I were talking about before we went on air about how in Les Mis, there's the 10th anniversary concert, right? Phil Quast plays Javert in that. Now, imagine Russell Crowe's performance with the voice of Philip Quast. Exactly. That pairing would have worked really well. Because yep. vocally, Philip Quast can do it. And Russell Crowe's acting choices weren't bad in that movie. You felt no, the conflict no, no. in that performance. It was just his was voice giving... did not do well when you're singing for eight yeah. hours a day on a set, right? It's the same thing here. It's like Re- Rebecca Ferguson knew, I can't sing this role the way it needs to sound. So let's use the demo track and use this artist. And there we go. But she should have gotten more credit for sure. She should have gotten more credit. Like and, also, I mean, sorry. go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, finish your finish your. Thought. Oh, I was just gonna say. I mean, credit to Rebecca Ferguson. She did credit this artist, this Lauren, with, with the vocal. She was very clear in interviews of. I did not sing this song. Do not assume it was me. It was not me. It was this other artist. It's just me, and never really. Then went to the other. Went to the vocal artist and said, "Hey." Let's get you on Jimmy Fallon so you can sit down and talk and actually get your face shown. Because when she shows up on Britain's Got Talent or The Voice or whatever she was on and says, hey, I'm actually the singer of this song. And everybody's like, Mm -hmm. what? What? It's like, well, there's your problem. Nobody ever took the time to find you and give you the proper visual credit of, you know, The Voice. I mean, there's a great story with Anastasia, the animated movie, where, where Liz Calloway, does the singing for Anastasia and Meg Ryan did the vocal parts. And then you have at the premiere, they finally got to meet each other. And mm-hmm. Meg Ryan's going, Oh, I, she's like, Oh, I told everybody I did my singing. <laughs> like, it, and didn't give Liz Calloway the credit for it. Oh, that's awful. Awful. Yeah. And here we go. So we just missed a really important moment, which is Hugh Jackson yeah, just blocked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He wouldn't let them into the party. So which I think is a, interesting choice and honest choice for the filmmakers to make i love it because once again it's showing the turn right like it's showing what fame and fortune can do to someone yep and also this is a fantastic song oh so good she is incredible she should have got an oscar nomination for this performance i think so too maybe i don't think she would have won but she's bringing her whole heart to this performance come on if julie andrews got or not Julie Andrews, my gosh. Uh, Angela Lansbury got nominated for Gaslight. Come on. True. You know I mean? <laughs> you should have gotten nominated. True. Yeah. And then, of course, yeah, this, this is, is just like such an anthem. Like, this song should have won for best song at the Oscars. I think it lost. I would say any of them should have won. They were all like, the score is fantastic. Yeah. I think it lost to Coco, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. The song from that Coco. Makes sense. which is a really good song but i'm like this song transcended the film and has become such a big anthem to people like it's still being done today and still brings down the house yeah which is why i think they need to trans translate to the stage yes asap yeah and of course like i love how the, the camera's choosing so instead of featuring the group so much on camera, it's from their POV, so that the camera's showing what they're seeing. So you're feeling yeah. the eyes of these people, like, and it's keeping them all together in one shot yeah. for the most part, which yeah. is quite nice. Yeah. 
and I, and then of course you got the mob outside with their torches right like just yeah and again that's where the pg kind of g rating comes in it's like this is very yeah. accurate there would have probably been some yeah. violence going on here you yeah. know they wouldn't have been able to sing their anthem unfortunately that's yes. a nice cut too i like that cut yes also, just to go back, I love that moment when Rebecca Ferguson's character is singing yeah. and every, not to go back to further, but when everything goes silent and they just cut the sound completely when the audience yeah. is clapping. Yes. Wow. Like, great choice of just right? not using sound. Mm-hmm. Also, I will say there was just a great shot of Zendaya where they yes. use the line of, this is me, and she gives like Zac Efron the death glare. It's like, yeah. damn, that, like she's got eyes on her. Where it's like when she wants to turn up the intensity, it's there, and you felt it. Like, and like Kale Sato is just killing this song. I'm really excited to see her in Dune Part Two because I think yes. she's going to get into a much deeper role. And I really, I hope so. Because they did not do enough with Zendaya in Dune Part One. I was like, I want yeah. more Zendaya. The trailers made it seem like you she was going to be in way more of this. I love that yeah. slow mo. That yes. really cool pan shot and it's the slow-mo jump beautiful lighting mm-hmm. oh this is such a good anthem like you just feel it in your heart right like everybody in the world has felt this this yeah. feeling of like screw the world I'm owning myself in this moment. Like, it's, yeah. that is such a universal song. And yeah, the film, I think the, the key they really hit with this film is it is just so universal. And <laughs> any audience could really connect to it. And it's really great that you're now seeing a darker side of P.T. Barnum here where he's clearly now got him fame and money. Great shot, by the way, the silhouette. Mm-hmm. Yes. And now it's, he. his focus is now on this Jenny Lind former who looks society, he looks societally acceptable, like he no longer like you, you can see the story turn of Peter Barnum feels he no longer needs this community that embraced him. Yeah. And Zach Efron's calling him out for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about you show him the smile? Such a disturbing, like horrible line to give to someone. Where it's like, and I'm sure Zach Efron's heard that because he's always been seen as the pretty boy, right? One of the things of just smile and the audience is gonna love you. And he's like, No, I can do more. Like, give me more and I'll do more. Yeah. Here we go. Love that wide shot. I love Zendaya's costumes in this. I think the costumes just in the entire film mm-hmm. are so iconic. Like, they just stay in your head. Mm-hmm. I mean, once again, the chemistry between Zendaya and Zac Efron is so good. Yeah, her green dress here. It's really... Such a good... And once again, it's so different, right? Like, it's a lot... You, you see a lot of the society women are like in the pinks, in the whites. Yeah, the whites. And then you're going to put Zendaya in this very rich green 
color that just yeah. is going to jar. It's going to it's going to be off with that exotic necklace on mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Oof. And rabbling with the help, right? Like, oof. Yeah. Like, um, like, once again, like they're getting in. Like they they do the story, but I'm like, there's almost too much for this film to ta- take on. Where it's like, this is like this could be a whole movie on its own, right? Of just the Zendaya and Zac Efron story. But it's like a yes. plot story. It's like if you're gonna go for that story. And there is, and I mean, once again, P.T. Barnum had a very complex relationship with people of color. That's a very kind of complex thing there, as we talked about, where he had this very old woman that was supposed to be the nanny of George Washington, and then she died in the autopsy her and sold tickets to her autopsy, you know, like horrible, horrible things. So the fact that, like, a really complex thing, and then, like, they kind of just make it like a B-plot. A it's like, oh. <laughs> As much as I love this storyline and their chemistry is so good, when you look when you watch it a few times, you're like, I feel like we could have gone deeper with the storyline had there been more time given to them. But because this film is so tight in its storytelling, there is no time to give more time to them. Yeah, it's such a beautiful yeah. moment. <laughs> I know I would have wanted more, but I think you don't enough like it's enough, enough was given to them that like yeah you get it yes this is such a great song rewrite the stars i love his falsetto like oh just so good I mean, this is tough choreography here. They're going to do this rope trick routine. I mean, simple touch is so great where it just, you feel the sensual energy of this piece without having to be like that provocative. And then, of course, she's up in the air. So good. Yeah, this whole scene. Yeah, like they make it so central without it being like centrally, like like over sexualizing of either one of these very good looking people. Like it's central yeah. in a very PG way. Yeah, it's very romantic. Mm-hmm. It's very raw. It's very beautiful. Yeah. The lighting is incredible. The fact that Zendaya yes. wanted to do her own stunts for this is yeah. amazing. Yeah. And it's very, very difficult. Yeah. As a dancer, I tried to learn how to do the silks and the ring and stuff that she does, and it is very difficult. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. I think it is the in my opinion, from now on, maybe second best, but I think this is mm-hmm. the best scene in my opinion yeah. in the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so fascinating. And just the choreography of this. Like is there not, like, Zendaya is such a triple threat. Like, I yeah. guarantee she will have multiple Oscars in her future, whether probably at least one for, one, for, one for performing, one for producing, and she's already into directing, too, so, you know, like, yeah. I guarantee she'll have at least two to maybe three Oscars in her future. The oh, outtakes of this moment here where they swing into each other is really funny to watch sometimes, because it's all about timing, right? It's all about precision. 
love that shot. Yeah, where it looks like she's running on the air. Yeah. So cool. Once again, this is where that music director energy comes in. Exactly. Because you know what? If I had directed a scene as good as this, I think Mm -hmm. I would just quit and be like, yeah, yeah, that's enough. I made it. That's all I needed to do. It's really good. And yeah, this is a great flow. Yeah, it's so well edited. Mm -hmm. Oh, are they going to kiss? Again, silhouette. Yeah. Which, once again, it's a great musical mon- or homage to Sound of Music, right? Like the big scene between Captain Von Trapp and Maria Von Trapp is all in silhouette in the gazebo, right? Yeah, like, the gazebo. That's a great yeah. little, I don't know if it was a purposeful homage, but, you know, like, as a musical theater person who knows that type of thing, you're automatically like, oh yeah, Sound of Music, like, you're meant to be, you know. And then, of course, she walks away. Beautiful wide shot. They yes. really utilize the You wide feel the loneliness. Here. Of Zach yeah. Efron in that moment where he's lost P.T. Barnum. He's now lost this love interest. He's at the bottom. Like, this is a great moment. Like, you're building up to a really good end of a second act in your screenplay, right? Where you're going to have to get the audience to the lowest possible moment. And we are driving straight into that iceberg. Yeah. Where we set up the mob is outside with their torches. We've got P.T. Barnum leaving town. Zach Efron's lost his partner. Like, we are seeing the slow trudge toward this ultimate end of act two where everything's going to have to be lost to really propel a good third act of the movie. Absolutely. I agree completely. And the one thing I noticed in this scene with him and Michelle Williams, they never had them in the same shot in that scene. You're showing the space between them. And also if you notice when they arrived at this house, there was, they had zebras. Or like horses painted to look like zebras pulling the carriage. Now it's like a proper red coach with nice horses. Like it shows the evolution. Like he's stepped up in the world, right? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, see, most again, Michelle Williams is holding the like. You is she the best vocalist? No, especially when you compare to like Lauren, who just sang for Jenny Lynn's character. But the vocally, she still holds it. But she's no, she does. Emotion he's, ex- he's excellent, mm-hmm. yeah. And I don't need things to be perfect. Like, no. you know, Russell Crowe is a different story, yeah. but, yeah. you know, if you, she still delivers yeah. a great performance with the vocals. Yes. Again, the empty chair. It's just yeah. this movie knows, like you said, show, don't tell. They know how show, to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then cutting to Hugh Jackman, clapping. But he's great. clapping for Jenny Lynn, Jackman. his daughter. The, the, the use of montages in mm-hmm. this movie are incredible. Yeah. Oh, and Zach's in the, taking responsibility. Yeah. That's sweet. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's something I didn't notice before, but they shove a pillow. Under under the large man's belly to make him look yes. bigger, right? Like once again, that's horrible. Like not a good thing. Like let's like, yeah. like let's expose these overweight people. Oh, oh, great! I yeah. love it when they take the sound away. Yes. What a cut! And of course, we have two different audience reactions, right? We have yeah 
the Jenny Lind, everybody clapping for joy. And then we have people like literally throwing food and shouting horrible things at the performers back at the museum. Yeah. I love Michelle. And I love how she's dancing like she danced uh, when they were young. Yes. Younger on the rooftop. Yeah. And she's wearing some little dress. Yeah, the spinning Mm -hmm. dress. Mm -hmm. This is what I mean. I think this movie is very underrated. It's not only Mm -hmm. a fantastic script that you could look at for structure. Mm -hmm. The silhouettes, the window. That's Little Women definitely took from this shot. Yeah. They definitely did. (laughs) And then she's gone. She just he disappears. Oh my gosh! Like so smart. This is a music video. It's it's all it's the music video montage. Yeah, like, but it's not so, done in a cheesy or corny way. It's done in such a truthful way. Yeah. Oh, I love that too. Where it's yeah, and they're staring at each other in the mirror. Oh, yeah. Gosh. I just think this movie doesn't get... It's like we were talking about... Mm-hmm. I'm not comparing it to The Godfather, obviously. Yeah. I'm not comparing it to Citizen Kane. The movie has its flaws, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, for uh, for visual storytelling purposes, yeah. I think this is a great watch, and people it's can study the film watch. on how to tell a story. Yeah. And you see, this is the problem is, in reality, this woman was not like this. Yeah. Like, historically speaking, she did not have an affair with P.T. Barnum. Like, she was a very charitable woman. Like, like there was a very clear, different person. So the fact they gave this character this woman's name but then totally fabricated all this and misrepresented her i can see why her descendants got mad about this because it's like this is not who she was and yet people are going to take this as fact it's like not and no matter what we're going to think of her in a negative way right we don't want him to she's always yeah her her character's the other woman who's come and direct the home of michelle williams yeah and it's not like he's hitting on her Mm -hmm. she's clearly hidden on him i mean from what we see at least right so they're trying to make it look a certain way yes but i still like that we understand where she's coming from she's not a villain yes human being i also love the fact they gave her red hair like it's such a great visual Mm -hmm. love her characters have that great like red hair it just catches your eye yeah it's that fire it's kind of that mm-hmm. spark maybe he was missing yeah. in his little or yes. thought he was missing in his life Arguably, yes. red hair is also minority that is true speaking of someone yeah. with red hair <laughs> we yeah. are a minority gene <laughs> <laughs> but if you noticed in some of the posters of jenny jenny lynn she was a brunette on the poster mm-hmm Right. Yeah, she was. And then she has this re- beautiful red hair in person. Yes. Hugh Jackman does so much with, like, once again, just the looks he gives. Yeah, his eyes. Yeah. Yeah. He it says so much. Did she have that hair? And of course, she beckons him to come on. And here we go. This is going to be the really bad historically inaccurate moment here. Where... They're going to kiss. And she kind of ruins his career here, right? Like she kind of. Yeah. Like she knows what's going to happen. Yes. 
Yeah, that was once again, like, that's a major historical inaccuracy that yeah. did not happen. And that's where this film is taking historical like liberties to the point where it's not good. Oh, here yeah. we go. Shuler Hensley, who was a friend of Hugh Jackman. He played Judd Fry in Oklahoma. He was just playing Marcellus in, in The Music Man on Broadway. He was oh, Frankenstein okay. and Van Helsing. Mm-hmm. Oh, this guy? Mm-hmm. This guy here. Her brother is an act. Her brother's been in stuff, too. I recognize uh, yes. Zendaya's brother from a few things. Oh, crap. Here we go. Yeah, that's when they burn it down, right? Sorry, spoiler yeah. alert. Yeah. The battle cry. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's, like, I think it's moments like this in the film yeah. where I can see why people mm-hmm. might think it's a bit cheesy here and there, yeah. right? With the cheese factor of them, mm-hmm. like, oh, there's a fight breaking out and yeah. they're flipping around with all the fight stuff. But yeah, it's part of the charm I mean, I think it. what my issue with that was that it showed the pe- like performers who are different and it makes them exotic fighters, like 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 the guy with yeah, like, who had all the like tattoos. Of course, he comes around. and does a trapeze flip and takes yeah. out the other guy who's an overweight man because he uses his belly to fight. Yes, yeah, right. It's like, like it's kind of like it's like a Disney like Beauty and the Beast, where like where yeah. like the wardrobe jumps off a balcony and smashes a guy into the ground, right? Like it's that yeah, exotic exactly. kind of instead of taking that fight for what it really is, which is this is a horrible situation where in reality yes. these people are getting beat up and abused. Yeah, and they're losing they their home into the darkness in this a fight. bit more of that. But it's making into this comic like, ha let's roll yeah. and fight them, you know? Like it's like, no, 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 this is not a. Yeah, it, it makes it too light sometimes. It needs yeah. to go into a bit of that darkness. Yeah. But I know it's a family friendly film, yeah. and I'm sure they were like figuring mm-hmm. out like what, yeah. where the angle is on this, and mm-hmm. how far do we go? But yes. I think we should have seen a bit mm-hmm. more. Yeah. And of course, this is a great end to act two now, where things yeah. have are literally burnt to the ground. Like, yeah, great visuals too with the yes. fire, really well done. Yeah, and this did historically happen. The museum did yep. burn down. This was a real thing. We don't know what what caused the fire. So did, this did is where I don't mind them taking a little bit of historical license here. Where it's like, yeah, the bad people burned it down. Yeah, it's like fine. Nobody knows what really happened. There is no it burned down. So take that historical moment and then use it as you see fit to tell your story because nobody's going to say otherwise, you know. Versus like let's have him kiss, like, let's have Jenny Lynn kiss him, and that's not. And there's very clear media presence that shows that didn't happen. Yeah, right. Like that's where that line is. Right. It's like, but like oh, this is such a sad scene. Yeah. Oh, the elephant I mean, in the back. Yeah. Once again, they have the elephants. They don't show the whale. That boy Beautiful. Wide that in the wide. Fire. The wide of the elephants and the fire is yeah. incredible. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not sure who the cinematographer was on this. So that's embarrassing that I don't know that. But I can look that up. Whoever you are. It was. Let's see. Amazing job. Cinematography was by Seamus Carvey, who's from Italy. And he's also... He also what he was nominated for Atonement. He also did Anna Karenina. Okay, yeah. He also did. We need to talk about Kevin, Nocturnal mm-hmm. Animals. He's done quite a bit of work with Ridley Scott. 
as well. Roger Deakins. He's worked with Roger Deakins. So, so this guy knows what he's doing, yeah. clearly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I can see the Intonement and mm-hmm. Anna Karenia. Yeah, Corinne Corin- Corin- Yeah. Right. This is such a beautiful, heartfelt scene that just happened with Zendaya and Zac Efron. Mm-hmm. That was a beautiful moment there. One thing I noticed, I just saw that wide of Hugh Jackman picking up stuff mm-hmm. in the wide of. I never, I know they didn't. Obviously, they probably shot this on a green screen. Yeah, but it never feels that way. Like it never feels no. fake. Mm-hmm. It holds up really well. Yeah. Also, great scene with him and the critic because I mm-hmm. like that it's just not some subplot that never. Yeah. Takes president or anything like this is nice yes. but it comes to like a nice close mm-hmm. humanizing the critic so it's not just a complete villain yeah mm-hmm. and they share a little drink on the, mm-hmm. the steps yeah it's almost like he's his like pt is like his muse and yeah like that's what's yeah. so interesting in this whole story arc yeah yes So the, the actor who plays the critic is his performance is quite underrated in this film. I think yeah. he does a great job. Yeah, who's the actor who plays the critic in this? It's oh, what's his name? What's this hero at the lowest point? He's just like humanizing him. Yeah, just before he puts him on the pedestal. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a picture. Mm-hmm. Barnum scandal. Now, I don't know who plays the critic in this. Can't see him. Hats off to the makeup team too. <coughs> they do like with you know yeah. all the work with the mm-hmm. the ash and soot on him. I know that's such a small little detail that mm-hmm. no one really thinks about, yeah. but. <clears throat> did a really good job of the makeup and mm-hmm. hair in the movie. Yeah. I also love that we're now basically back to where their relationship started. He was the poor boy in the dirt and the muck wow, and she yeah. is, you know, back up, like back up looking like a, looking like a society lady. Great point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, something else I didn't notice until yeah. now. Is blue supposed to signify like royalty or money or something? It could be always, emotional she's too. Like always wearing blue in this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, she was a pink at the beginning, wasn't she? She wasn't she pink, pink and blue, blue at the beginning. She, had, she, she was in blue and then she goes to pink for a bit and then she's back to blue. <clears throat> but I definitely think blue was her color. It's definitely a society color because blue was a royal color. It's a rich mm. color. It's not. It was not an easy to dye fabric color. So, you know, definitely fits that social class there. And once again, historical inaccuracy here where they never divorced or she never left him. So P.T. Barnum's wife, that is. She stayed with him until she died. So now you're getting into a whole other historical inaccuracy where like, you're like because you made the choice to make Jenny Lind and the kiss happen, you now have to create ramifications for that, which are also historically inaccurate to the film. So yeah. it's like ripple effects of, of that choice 
creates more problems for you. When it's like, you know, you should, you didn't need the breakup story. We didn't need the kiss. Just have P.T. Barnum realize, I don't need to be here. I'm needed back home. And he leaves Jenny and that's it. And she goes, I don't like it, but I'll accept it. Whatever. Find something else. You don't need a kiss to drive them apart. Like, yeah, I don't think we needed the kiss either. No, the kiss was not necessary. It was one of those old Hollywood tropes. I love this scene. and I love the mm-hmm. shots of him alone by himself, yeah. too, when the shorter person yeah, comes person, up yeah. the, the bar and sits yeah. on the hat. And, yes. I, I, just, I personally love just, like, seeing he realizes he's at the lowest point in mm-hmm. his life because he's driven all the people who are truly closest to him so far away and he needs that he realizes he needs those people back again and that's what and like yeah. i'm gonna tear up looking at this pain in his eyes and it's like mm-hmm. just him realizing that i love this scene in this movie it's such a human scene right it's the like this is where hugh jackman shines as an actor this is a genuine painful moment for him Anytime he has to do a scene like this, like even dare I say, when you watch X Men: The Last Stand and he has to kill Jean Grey, and you feel the yeah, pain in his face when he does that, like that movie well, is not the, a good yeah. movie. But Hugh Jackman gives the yeah. emotional weight, and that's the power of him. Like when he's dying as John Valjean at the end of that movie, I can't help but tear up watching him in that scene because he is giving his heart, and this is what he's giving here. Oh, well, Beljean's death is yeah. beautifully done, and he's yes. so good in it. Hugh yeah. Jackman, he just delivers in everything. He he's does, amazing. he does. Like, no matter what he does, like, sometimes his, sometimes he's not the best singer. Like, sometimes he, you can tell he was singing for eight hours a day, and his voice just wasn't there when he needed it to be there, looking at the scene in Bring Him Home, where it's not a great vocal performance for him in that. But he's, if you watch him later on in his concert, he sings it beautifully, because he's not yeah. singing it for eight hours. Um but anyway, but I love the reflection the of him in the here. Yeah. The Where score, this yeah. song is so good. Mm-hmm. That shot with me, this family gets me every time. Like, this is such a... Well, once again, just like, this is me, right? This is an anthem. I can feel it in the heart. And when you watch him sing this with Kale Asado at the producer's performance... You feel that in his heart, right? Like he is singing this and everybody's feeling it with him. Like this just gives you chills in all the right ways. Yeah. Like this is the American dream story. Like it's all about the, yeah, you fail, but you get back on that horse. And you fight for it. And I love the choreography, that bounce, and you hit in the arms. Like, it's that classic kind of, like, oh, mili- like brother military arm shake, you know, that the Romans did, where they clasped the forearm. It's just, it needs to be on stage. Yeah. I guarantee there's somebody's working. I mean, if we just it's got Moulin Rouge on Broadway, this is going to come to Broadway. Such good choreography. Yeah, she's crying. Told you she would. We feel you, Katie. We feel you. 
You hear sobs <laughs> in the background. It's her. It's the scene that gets me every time. <laughs> oh, I love when he runs out the of the story in this movie. His family. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great shot. Yeah. Hugh Jackman's such a great runner in movies. He's like Tom Cruise when he runs in movies. Yeah, yeah. And he's reaching love, forward. And I love the reaching reaches. as well. Like it just, oh. The shot of the train is amazing. Yeah. They had a really good budget for this yeah. movie. It's insane. And this is what you need to end this movie, right? Like, like this. I think this is one of the few times, I think it's one of the last times we see the bearded lady and all that cast. So you need to leave them yeah. on a positive note. You can't leave them with their home burned down on the sidewalk. Like, yeah. can't, you can't leave the movie that way. So they give him a really good send-off. And Zendaya, oh my, there's the amount of emotion she's giving here. And she's like, like, dewy-eyed. And of course... Yeah, they're so good the in this. And I love just the quiet lilting music in the background. And the poet in his way coming up at the beach. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> I also, despite the seriousness and happiness of the scene, yeah. I just find it again kind of funny <laughs> with the whole historical inaccuracy. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's like, yeah, we're all cool guys. And then he's like, Peace, and he just Peace leaves out. all his like workers. I'll yeah. see you later. Yeah, yeah, I'll come back for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, the kids are so. Dumb. I love how Great the dad song. wasn't gonna tell him where she was, and the kids were like, "She's at the beach." It's like, yeah, it's like the kids got nothing here. <laughs> and of course, she's in the blue, and she's on the beach again, yeah. where they start the movie, like. Great bookends here to the film. And they sing great the song in the beginning. Yeah, like that's the like that's really good screenwriting is when you can you start at a point and you end at a point and they just perfectly bookmark each other. Like you're right, Jamie. This is such a good piece of screenwriting to study because it does so much and it's so well. If I ever teach, well, I would use this as an example because yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah. Like, it makes me want to be a better writer watching something yes. like this because it's just so mm -hmm. well thought out and yeah. placed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, screenplay was by Jenny Bix and Bill okay. Condon. And Jenny also did the story outline for this as well. So, but I mean, uh, Bill Condon's such a great screenwriter. Like, he adapted yeah. Chicago, which is so much better than the stage show, the film version with Rob Marshall. He did Beauty and the Beast. Oh, okay. Directed that, wrote and wrote the screenplay for Bill it. Condon, the screenwriter. Mm -hmm. And of course, the music swells, and there. I love the flowing scarf, like such a great old Hollywood image. Like that could be yeah, right at sunset. Like, old Hollywood. Yeah. I guess the sequel could be about them being in the circus versus in the museum. Yeah, or maybe traveling the world with the circus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe they go to Paris. Yeah. There's a whole other plot point there with what happened with the circus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I just feel like all the relationships got tested in this movie that mm -hmm. you're going to have to create more conflict in the next True. one. <laughs> Maybe they give more time to Zac Efron and Zendaya and their racial discrimination storyline in the next one. Yeah. yeah. I'd Who knows? That. Like, they're definitely, I definitely can see, I mean, this movie also made a lot of money, so I can see why the film, like, Disney wants to do a sequel to this now that they have the rights to it. Like, this is like, and Hugh Jackman said he'd come back for a sequel as well, because this is, was his passion project. So, I can see why they would, wrong, this. would love to see a sequel. <laughs> yeah, I would too. I just, it would have to be the same composers. It would have to oh, be. Oh, yeah. You need to bring story. back everybody for this. But I think it's been enough time mm -hmm. where, but again, I've heard Hocus Pocus 2 took a long time to come out. Almost 30 years. It almost took almost 30 years for that one to come. And it was a great, I mean, once again, it's not an Oscar winning movie. But it's fun. Oh, you liked it, it. Is what, it, it, it? It did what it needed to do. Okay. See, I didn't see it. I've heard mixed things, but we're watching Disenchanted next Friday. I'm so I don't excited for Disenchanted. I hope they do a good job. They waited a while. I now, think they so. will. The trailers look really good. Once yeah. again, you go in, like, you have to know what you're going in for. Like, Disenchanted, we know what it's going to be. It's going to mm -hmm. be a, it's gonna be playing off all the old Disney tropes, right? That's what Enchanted did. So we're going to play into that again. Yeah. So, like, and here we go. So now we set up, they're at the circus. Oh, so cool. Yeah. And once again, we're back to that moment that we saw in the very opening of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we're right back to where we started. His dream became a reality. And it's kind of like Hugh Jackman's dream became a reality in a way, yeah. too, because it's the dream project. Yes. You know, I say the screenplay is so good, but yeah. what makes the screenplay so good is yes. the music in it that can mm -hmm. carry these plot points yeah. through it. It's mm -hmm. genius. Mm -hmm. I wish I saw this in theaters back in the day. Yeah. I mean, we got Moulin Rouge into a stage show. So if we can get that, we will definitely get this. Well, they should do Circus LA with this. They should combine yeah. it. I mean, I probably like Circus LA a little bit more. Not that I don't love Circus yeah. LA. I do. But I do like, like the spectacle of the acrobatics only gets me going for so long. You can have a full exactly. show like this. A story that enhances the acrobatics. Yeah. I love that. And of anthem. course, Kale Saddle just killing it with that. With her vocal chops. Mm -hmm. A literal passing of the torch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the thing is, Zach Efron isn't based off of the real partner that P.T. Okay. Barnum worked with. But that's okay. Because once again, they didn't give him the partner's name. They gave him a different name. And I'm like, that's what you need to do throughout this whole movie. Yeah. Don't yeah. name her Jenny Lynn. Name her something else. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Like historical films do that all the time, where they amalgamate characters into one person. Yep. Like, absolutely. Like, you can do that. Like, that's much stronger than like, because then you avoid the whole conflict of you're messing with historical people and their lives and what they went through. Like Zendaya's character is based off another very famous acrobatic performer who was with P.T. Barnum, but she didn't get the name because like it was a German woman who was in real life. So they didn't give right. her the same name. They should just switch the names. Yeah. Yeah. Just change the names. And don't mess up. Don't mess it up. 
It's a nice entity. And of course, he shows up on an elephant. Like, yeah. <laughs> Hope he didn't crush anyone along the way. I mean, way. what a great marketing gimmick right there. Not sure how well elephants do in the snow, though. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I feel like that. I feel like there's a PETA problem there. Yeah, slight animal abuse taking the yeah. elephant into the snow. Well, that was one of the reasons why it shut down in, in 2017, right? It was after, I think, 142 years of running the Wrigley's P, a Ringley P.T. Barnum circus shut down. One of the reasons was because of charges of animal abuse. Sad. And of course, the daughter is the prima ballerina. She made her dream come true, but she worked for it. Yeah, that's fake it. Well, I don't think of a lot. Of that. The other one's a tree. Yeah. Yeah. She's a tree. So cute. That's such a classic kid's role in any play. Yeah. We've all been trees. I mean, there's a great, I mean, that's the great subplot in, in the musical Gypsy is Gypsy Rose Lee or Louise spends the whole first act being the back end of a cow. <laughs> or is she the back end? No, she's the front end of a cow. But either way, she, play, she plays a cow. Like, like, and that's just such a great running joke throughout the piece. Oh, then they've got a quote from him. The noblest art is that of making people happy, or others happy. Yeah, they might have not, they maybe shouldn't have put that there, you know? Yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, once yeah. again, great movie. Like, excellent movie. T- like, like, historical inaccuracies aside, this is a great American dream movie. It knew yes, what it, it was, is. and it owned that. I mean, it's very what, old. Um, it's very old. This is like Golden Age Hollywood classic movie i didn't know james mangold was an executive producer on this yes he did logan uh, yes i'm sure he talked to him and was like here i'm gonna produce this okay they had six editors that's crazy yeah. i can see that with the amount of footage they probably had to go through yeah they yeah, probably yeah. needed six editors to like cut it all together yeah they probably each tackled like a section of it or yeah i mean i don't know but hey when you got six editors six different eyes and you you still create a cohesive film that is impressive because once again when we talk about things like david Ayer's suicide squad that had like four different editors that movie was a mess it didn't do well (laughs) yeah so i mean so yeah when the sequel comes jamie we will definitely do a follow up, yeah. whatever that is. We'll do a follow up for yeah. sure. But uh, where do people find and follow you, though? I'm sorry. Where do people find and follow you? Okay, yes, you can follow me on my Instagram, Jamie mm-hmm. Knox Films, where you can see some of the stuff we've been doing for our film coming out in 2023, The Pines Go Whisper, my first yeah. feature, and. You just thank you so much for having me on the and Katie on this podcast. Yes. We had a fantastic time watching one of our favorite movies and just love it. I, I, we love talking film and I love talking film with you. It's been great. Yes, I will. We'll definitely have for, you back uh, for other movie musicals. There's a whole bunch we can go through, so we will definitely find another one for us to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, maybe you and I will do the producers. That could be a fun one to do with Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. That's a fun one. We could do that one. I've, we could. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of ones we can do. So you and I will talk off mic 
on that one. But before we go, though, Jamie, give us your final thoughts. Did, does the movie still hold up after our discussion, or are you rethinking your appreciation for it? Like, where are you standing? No, I think it gets better every time, honestly. I think, you know, the acting's incredible, the screenplay, the, the writing and structuring of where mm-hmm. they put music in the film and how they tell story with music, the editing, the shots. It's a really great, high-quality production. I think it's going to, it's a standalone. I think it's going to, I think it's going to stand the test, maybe not stand the test of time, but I think it's going to be a film that mm-hmm. gets better with age and time. Yeah. And I think it's definitely going to become maybe a bit of a classic as a musical. I agree. I, it's very I agree. Like, yeah, this is going to definitely, it definitely generates a conversation. The music yeah. is going to stand up. I mean, if I'm ranking the three projects that we know these composers for, Dear Van Hansen, La La Land, and this, Greatest Showman is my like preferred soundtrack of theirs by far. For sure. I mean, the character, I mean, it's just so the moments that they really create in this are so powerful. Like just the use of montage at the beginning with a million dreams mm-hmm. to seeing the kids grow up to then them becoming the adults with Hugh Jackman and Michelle Williams, you automatically end up rooting for them. Same thing with, like, Rewrite the Stars, right? Like, the film does such a good job of very quickly getting you invested in the, in these people's stories. Which yes. is not an easy task. People think it's easy no. to, do that, to do that one magic shot where Zendaya swings up in Zac Efron's Caesar and they're attracted to one another. That is not an easy thing to write without, without it making it cheesy. But yet, when you have it's good not. performers and you build to that moment in the story, you're like, okay, you have the right recipe, but it's not an easy recipe to concoct. It can come across really hokey, really fast. And this Trust me, I'm trying to learn that recipe. Line. I will find that recipe one day. I, I am still sure cheap. you will. I'm sure you've yeah. got it already. Just one of those things where you got to have the right editor, the right cast, yeah. the right story the right build up to that moment. Right? Yeah. People forget, with good filmmaking, it's not just one good decision makes a good film. It's a thousand good decisions exactly. ultimately make the ultimately make a good film like nobody like no filmmaker ever goes into a project going i want to make a bad movie even yeah. tommy was so with the room never set out to make the movie he did it just so happened yeah. that he made that movie yeah right the greatest comedy yeah yeah, yeah. right and it's that, yeah, that's the same it, thing here like hugh jackman championed this project because he saw the potential it had and he worked it and worked it because like P.T. Barnum, he had the dream. Yep. And that is the American story and all and everybody, right? Like that is what America's built off of is that you keep working at it and you keep fighting for it and you'll ultimately will pay off for you. Somewhere, somehow you'll get the payoff of your desires. Yeah. yeah. Right? So yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, you can find follow me at McKenzie on all social media platforms. Stay tuned. We got some more live musical commentaries coming your way. So we look forward to seeing you at our next one as we continue to work on getting season five ready for you probably in the new year. So there we go. All right. Thank you, everybody. And we will see you all in the next episode. Have a great evening. Bye. Bye, everybody.